All right, young people, you are dismissed. Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 this morning. And I, not, I, I don't normally uh, speak from the book of Mark, both services, as I've been working through the book of Mark. But the, the passage I was working through just seemed more appropriate for a Sunday evening. So we're going to look at that tonight. I would encourage you to be here. And then we will, uh, this morning, though, look at Mark chapter 10. We'll start in verse 13, some thoughts about the kingdom some thoughts about the kingdom. You know what uh, was I was thinking about while I was sitting on the platform is I don't know why anybody would want to miss church. Good, Brother Hilton's with me. Amen. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy being in church. When we go on vacation, we go to church. And I, I hate to miss church. And, you know, the times that we are uh, perhaps ill or something and we miss a service, uh, you feel lost. It throws my whole week off. I don't know what day of the week it is because everything, if you ask me the date, if you were to say what date is next Wednesday, I count from Sunday, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, because I know all the Sundays. I can just automatically, I just focus in on Sundays. And so uh, I'm just lost without it. I hope that you've enjoyed it. it. What surprises me as I was thinking these thoughts on the platform this morning is that the writer of Hebrews had to say not forsaking the assembly. I thought, why would anybody want to miss church? And uh, God has been so, we learned a lot already. Brother Roberts had a great exhortation. How many of you are glad you came to church to learn you're free to eat bacon? Amen. <laughs> I mean, what a challenge. Amen. And so I uh, appreciate that. No, but that was, a good, that was a good exhortation, though, I'll tell you that. And both of our exhortations this morning have helped me so far. And I, I thought for a moment I was going to have to have an invitation because it was just so powerful. I just thought, oh, let's have an invitation. And uh, good to uh, be praying for Brother Brandon Roberts and his funny car- uh, family, Karis, and their kids, if you'd pray for them as they're going to Alabama now. And are you already moved and you just came up for a quick visit? Is that how this is working? Okay. And you'll start there next Sunday. Is that correct? All right. Pray, pray for them. And of course, this is Brother Roberts' first Sunday with us. We have a Roberts invasion going on, don't we? <laughs> Two weeks from today, Brother Bill Dobb will be preaching for us, and that's uh, Brother Roberts' brother-in-law, sister and uh, Mrs. Roberts' son-in-law, and uh, we're looking forward to having them here next week with Joanne, uh, his wife as well, and I'm not sure what kids are coming. Are all the kids coming? Just some? Abby, okay. So one's married, right? So uh, praise the Lord. So we're looking forward to hearing from Brother Dobb in just a couple weeks, and so be in prayer for that great service as well. Mark chapter 10 this morning. Mark chapter 10, let's look at verse 13, and just some thoughts about the kingdom. Some thoughts about the kingdom. Verse 13, and they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Can you imagine? I just just don't understand that verse, I'm going to be honest with you. I understand what it says. But I don't understand why the disciples would keep people from Jesus, no matter how young they are. I suppose it could be a bit of a cultural thing. And you would say, well, in that culture, perhaps they didn't regard children, but that's not true. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again that children are a heritage of the Lord. The Bible talks about happy is the man whose quiver is full, talking about his children. And uh, children are a joy of the Lord. And on and on we could go throughout the scriptures and show you how God has given us family and given us children for our joy and benefit. And so that was not the case here. But the disciples somewhat held them back. I couldn't imagine this week us pulling a bus up and saying, okay, we'll take a couple of you older kids, but you younger ones, you have to go home. 
We're, we're not going to bring you to vacation Bible school. We just don't want too many children filling up the air, uh, our gymnasium. And we don't have enough snacks for everybody. We'll figure all that out and we'll bring them in. Amen. We want as many as can come under the sound of the gospel. But the disciples, they didn't think that way. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, <clears throat> excuse me, a little tickled this morning. Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us, Lord, to understand the word of God today and speak to our hearts and as we think about the kingdom, we look forward to one day, to the fulfillment of the age when you will return in power and glory and receive us unto yourselves. And the Bible talks about a future time where the, uh, the Son of God will be our light and we will be able to walk physically to a throne where we'll find God and Jesus seated at his right hand. And we look forward to all the things that the Bible speaks about of the new Jerusalem and the, the coming kingdom of God. And so we pray, Lord, that today you would uh, help us to focus our minds on preparation. Maybe there's somebody here today that's not ready to meet the Lord. If Christ were to come today, that they'd be left behind. If God were to require their soul, they would lift up their eyes like the rich man and find themselves in hell. Oh God, I pray that you speak to our hearts. And though a lot of the things of the kingdom are a mystery to us, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke often about it, but in parables. And so, Lord, we may not understand and comprehend everything about it, but this I know, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way we'll ever find the kingdom of heaven. There's no way we'll ever be with Christ unless we come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would empower the message this morning and speak through your word, glorify your word, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Bible, we'll find a couple phrases about the kingdom. We see the kingdom of heaven that is used often in the book of Matthew. And then in the book of Mark, we see this morning the kingdom of God. I want to suggest to you that some have tried to divide those concepts and say they're two different things. But in Matthew, we find that the Lord Jesus Christ acclaims them as one and the same. This rich young ruler, the Bible says, would come to the Lord Jesus Christ and wonder what it took to inherit eternal life. And the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll talk about it in a few minutes uh, in a little bit more depth, but he laid out some things that were required and the man went away saddened for he had a lot of money. And you remember the famous quote that it is easier for a, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. And the Lord Jesus Christ says these things in the book of Matthew. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ in just two verses uses kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God interchangeably. So as we talk about one or the other today, just keep in mind we are talking about the same thing. I want you, if you will, to turn to Matthew chapter 13, and we do not have the time to read all the parables of the kingdom of heaven, but there are seven of them right here in Matthew chapter 13. 
We find some in Matthew chapter 16 and 19 and 22 and 25. And many times the Lord Jesus Christ would just pull his disciples aside and say, well, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he would give them a little a tidbit of truth through a parable that he would share with them. But look this morning, if you will, in Matthew chapter 13. And I want you to read with me uh, together or just listen as I read in verse 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground, or sorry, look to verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath its tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, With, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while we gather up the tares, we root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. In verse 31, we read about the, another parable. He says, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in the measures of meal till the whole was leaven. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Now I want you to jump down all the way to verse 44. In verse 36 we see as he explains the parable of the tares, and I'll give you a summary statement in a moment, but look if you will at verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. How many of you think they really did? How many of you are struggling to understand them this morning? Listen, understand this. The Bible is inspired and it is always truth, but it even records lies. And I don't know if the disciples really did understand, but they said, yes, Lord, we understand. The Lord had to explain to them the parable of the tares. And earlier on in the same chapter, we see he explains the, the parable of the, the sower and the seed. And, and so the Lord explained many parables, but they seemed to grasp these other six that he gives in this grouping of seven. 
Now, I want to just give you a summary statement of each of them as we learn just little tidbits about the kingdom of heaven, and we would take our time if we had more and, and read some of the other ones. But notice this, if you would, the, the parable of the tares are the enemies of the kingdom, and they will dwell among us until Christ returns. How many of you know that to be true? It seems like each and every day evil men shall wax worse and worse and it is a growing opposition to the things of God and oh how we need a revival and Christ said I will come again and I will separate the wheat from the tares. But understand this, he's not talking about the tares of the world necessarily. He's talking about the tares in the church. And the reason he doesn't pull them up is that he might pull some good wheat with them. We must be careful to understand that sometimes the enemy can creep in among us and we must be very careful. The parable of the mustard seed, it's, it's teaching us that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. It's the, the least of all the seeds, but it grows up into a mighty tree that all the birds of the air may nest therein. And we see the potential that somebody has, even the smallest among us, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. I think of, when I, when I think of that thought, this just popped into my mind. I read the biography of Oswald J. Smith. We had a couple folks in our church in Hamilton that were saved under his ministry years and years ago. And Oswald J. Smith wanted to be a missionary. And no mission board would accept him because he was frail of health. And he, he, if you ever saw him, he weighed about 125, 130 pounds. He was a very slight man. And, and uh, nobody would get behind him. And nobody would say, we're going to send you to the mission field. I believe they regretted that later on. For thousands upon thousands were saved under his ministry. It was he that said, nobody deserves to hear the gospel twice until everybody has heard it once. And he made it his personal mission to get the gospel around the world. God took a little seed, some that some thought were too frail. Isn't it wonderful? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that he uses the, the, the things that are uh, weak to confound the wise. The base things of this world. And God can use just a little mustard seed to make a mighty tree. We see the parable of leaven and how, how though we cannot always see, God is always at work. The Bible talks about the leaven there, how the, the wife would take it and work it into the dough. And we don't understand how that works, but the yeast would take over and the bread would begin to rise and God's kingdom would begin to grow. And, and he teaches us that God is always at work even when we cannot see him. We see the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. We'll put them together. It teaches us the value of the kingdom. One was willing when he found that treasure hidden in a field to sell all that he had to purchase that field. And another was to sell all that he had to purchase that pearl. It tells us that the kingdom is worth having. And we hold on to so many things in this life that keep us from truly coming to Christ. And then we see the parable of the net. And it speaks of God coming in judgment, how he'll separate the good from the bad, the righteous from the wicked. All of these parables just give us a glimpse into the kingdom. And like I said, there's several more we could read. A place where sin has ended. Listen, the enemy has failed. And its worth is to be treasured. The Bible says we are to lay up our treasures above. The philosophy of the world today is to get all you can and can all you get. But we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Amen. We are to seek the next kingdom. 
In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he mentions the kingdom of heaven twice. In Matthew 5, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both John the Baptist and Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, the key is this. Matthew is addressing a Jewish audience. And he preferred the phrase kingdom of heaven. Because as far as the Jews were concerned, the kingdom of God was a physical kingdom that Christ was set up on this earth. And the kingdom of heaven, the idea of it being a heavenly kingdom or a spiritual kingdom would steer them away from that thought somewhat. The Lord Jesus Christ is establishing a spiritual kingdom that one day will become sight. When we see him face to face, Jesus himself confirmed that thought in John 18. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. In Matthew, we read under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that he connects the kingdom. Listen, this is important. He connects the kingdom of heaven to the gospel. You must be born again to enter in this kingdom. Think about this. This is not, this is not the Lions Club. You have to be born again to be a part of it. This is not the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. This is not some organization that you can just simply go sign your name on a, on a sign-up sheet and be a part of. God's local church, you must be saved and baptized to be a part of her. To be a part of the kingdom of God, you must also be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the what? Kingdom of God. That gives it great worth. It's special to be a part of God's kingdom. And one day we will see him and know him face to face. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew 4. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Chapter 9, Jesus does it again. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I want you to turn your attention now to Mark chapter 10. I gave you some background and some parables of Christ and teaching about the kingdom, but I want you to notice some things we find in Mark chapter 10, some principles this morning, if you will. And I've just given just a couple points, just three simple points. There's no, no big sub points, nothing like that. But I want you to notice, first of all, instruction. Instruction. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ deals with his disciples in verse 13. It says, they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, and here's the instruction, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. You know, if this were a junior church or a vacation Bible school, we, we might be tempted to do what sometimes I saw many times as a kid and, and what we so often do. We, we ask the question, how many of you want to go to heaven? And how many kids raise their hand? 100%, right? 
There might be one foolish boy that's joking with his friends and thinking it's a big, big fun time or a big joke that oh, I'm not going to raise my hand. How many of you want to go to hell? Not one same boy might raise his hand, but for the most part, nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ gives some instruction for those same children. Notice what he says again, Verily I send you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. That word as in that phrase and, uh, that I just read, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child could have a couple different meanings, couldn't it? I might be able to stand before you today and say, I received Christ as a little child. And it could be a very literal sense. I was five years old when I accepted Christ as my Savior, and I was baptized at Bethel Baptist Church by Pastor Strachan. And I can honestly say I was saved as a child. But the word as can also be a comparison word. Some might take what the scriptures say in the sense that I just said it and say, well, if I'm not saved by the time I'm 12 or 13, I, I'm disqualified and I, I can never accept Christ. And that's not what the Bible is saying. It says, unless we become as children and have the childlike faith that is required to believe. Children believe almost everything, don't they? Say, so, oh no, I got a pretty smart kid. Your kid will believe in Santa Claus if you teach him. They believe in the Easter Bunny. They believe in the Tooth Fairy. They, they believe in all these fairy tales and things. Kids love Spider-Man and make-believe and all that stuff. It blows my mind that they get to choose whether or not they have a life-altering surgery or not when they believe in Spider-Man. That's another sermon. They have no grasp on reality. But in the very simpleness of their heart, they can believe in Jesus. God says, except we become like children. And believe. The instruction is given that we must trust in Jesus Christ. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We see a parallel passage here, and it gives us a little bit more detail from the perspective of Matthew. At the same time, I'm in verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. We're actually going to look more at this passage from Mark's perspective tonight. Verse 3 says, And said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as or like little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, Receiveth me. Notice some key words in verse 3. He says, Verily I send you, except you be converted. Converted. Changed. The Bible uses other words like born again. The word converted means to turn from, and so we use the word repentance throughout the scriptures. Repent ye therefore likewise or perish, Jesus would say in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. And, and so we are uh, commanded to convert and to become like little children and have a faith of a child. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Listen, there's a change that takes place in the life of a believer. And Jesus is instructing us today and helping us to understand you must be born again. You must be converted. You must 
be transformed. Romans chapter 12 uh, says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a change that takes place in the life of every single person who truly puts their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just praying a prayer. You say, well, I believe. The demons of hell believe and they tremble. But it's a belief that is coupled by faith. It is a life-changing faith. Jesus said, be converted and become his children. So we see some instruction. In verse 4 of Matthew chapter 18, we see another concept here. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself. It takes some humility to recognize that we are sinners and lost without a Savior. For the most part, you will encounter people on the streets every day, and you can talk to them and ask them, do you believe you're on your way to heaven? They'll say, well, I believe I'm on my way to heaven. And they'll give you a list of self-achievements. I do good works. I'm a good person. I have a good heart. I've taken care of my parents in their old age. I've, I've raised good children. I, I make sure they're educated properly. I, I'm doing everything a citizen should do. And, I, and I, I, I participate in civic activities. And I'm doing all those things I should be doing as a human being. And so why wouldn't I go to heaven? Because we're all sinners. And we must humble ourselves to be converted. The Bible says it very plainly in verse 4 of Matthew 18. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever admitted that today? I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But I'm here to say we need to agree with the scriptures. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together uh, become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 23.23, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is writing. He says, there's none righteous. There's none that doeth good. But he finally says, you know what? I can't beat around the bush anymore. I got to say it this way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The instruction today is to humble ourselves, to acknowledge like with a childlike faith to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn back to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, our main passage today. And notice what it says in verse 15. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not, there's another word, receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. It's not enough just to believe, you must receive. That's when faith takes over and we humble ourselves before God and acknowledge that we're sinners before Christ and that being lost in our sins, we are destined for hell, but the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross of Calvary. He took my place and he shed his blood. And that through his atoning death and his substitutionary death, I can reach out by faith and trust him. And believe that he will save me. In John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. In Mark chapter 10 we see the instructions of Christ that we must be saved. 
We must become his children and put our faith in Christ. But then we see an inquiry. Isn't it interesting, whenever the Lord is doing something, just the right person comes along to demonstrate his, his lesson. We see in verse 17, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, don't mix this up. Don't misinterpret this. Some, I've heard some people say, well, there, God says, if you keep the law, here's the problem. You can't. You can't. We are all guilty of sin. The law exists to teach us that we are sinners. Now, notice, notice what Jesus does. And he answered, verse 20, the man says, and he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen, cheated, done any of those things. Look at verse 21. Jesus puts it to the test. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I have a feeling. This is just my opinion. I can't prove it. The scripture doesn't say because it didn't happen this way. But I believe if the man had said, no problem. I'll give everything I have to the poor. I think Jesus might have said, you really don't have to do that. You just had to be willing. It's a matter of the heart. It's not necessarily wrong to have things. It's when things have you. And what the Lord Jesus Christ was demonstrating here, you're guilty of one thing still, covetousness. The things of this world have a hold on you. And until you're willing to let them go, Years ago, I had a friend in Bible college named Bob Morrison, and Bob bought a little motorcycle, and he fixed it up, and, and he'd use it, and he'd like go for long rides on Saturday. Missouri was in the Ozark Mountains. He liked riding through the mountains, and there was lakes and things, and he enjoyed that. One day, I was walking by, and he was just showing it to somebody out in the, we called it the pit. The pit was the parking lot kind of went down in, and it was a parking lot, and there was a student center, and then the cafeteria. Down in the pit, he was working on this bike, and he was showing it to a fella, and the fella was interested in buying it. Later, I said, Bob, I said, you're selling that bike? He says, yeah. He says, I just, I just realized, he says, I should be out on visitation Saturday mornings instead of riding my bike, and he says, it's just taking up some of my time, and he says, I, I just feel like I could do more for the Lord if I let it go, and he says, I've just been convicted about it, and, and I wanna, I'm just going to try to sell it. Well, that gentleman didn't, didn't buy the bike. And he tried, and he tried to sell it, and guys would come and look at it, and, and nobody wanted it. Finally, one day, I saw Bob going off on a ride somewhere. I said to him later, I said, you haven't been able to sell that bike? And he says, you know what? He said, I've been really praying about it. He said, I've come to the conclusion the Lord didn't want me to sell my bike. He just wanted me to be willing to sell it. Be willing to give all, some of my dearest things, that I might serve him fully. We don't have to walk around in poverty, and there's a crowd that has taken that the other way, haven't they? Sell everything you have. 
Give everything away. But we have to be willing. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this man comes with an inquiry, what must I do? And he says, and he teaches him a lesson, go and sell all that you have. And the man was sad. Notice, look at the last part here this morning. We see the inquiry, but I want you to see the illustration. Verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that have trust? Notice what he says this time. The first time he says they that have riches, this time he says they that trust in riches. to enter into the kingdom of God. You see, for some, they've never had to pray anything in. They've never had to learn to trust in God. Because everything is just handed to them. Hey, we live in a pretty good country, don't we? As far as prosperity is concerned. I heard Jordan Peterson, and I don't know a lot about him and his spiritual life at all, but he's a very smart man. And he said this, he says, the person in Canada who's absolutely worst off is still better than 99% of the world. We have so much. And if we don't have, we have resources to get it. Or somebody's going to give us and help us. And notice what Jesus says, they that trust in wretches to enter in the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them, saying, with them, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. The eye of the needle is not what you're thinking today. We think of a seamstress, and I I remember the funny illustrations as a kid, thinking in my mind, a camel trying to go through a needle. No. Israel's a walled city. While I was there, I got to see an eye of the needle. There's parts of the city where there's large gates that will come down, and in that gate is a little man door. Or off to the side, carved into the wall, is a little door. And the idea is that an invading army at night would only be able to go one camel at a time through that door. So people coming into the cities after dark and people that are returning home from a a long trip, they would have to go through it and it would be a guarded door. But it wasn't big enough for a camel. An invading army couldn't ride strictly right into the city like you could if the big gates were open and slaughtered the people. And for a, even a traveler that was coming home, they, they would have to take off all the baggage off that camel. And the camel would have to get down on its knees and work its way through. They'd have to coax it through that small opening. It wasn't impossible, but it was difficult. How many of you know that a camel's knees will hinge backwards or forwards? And so it would get down and think about that. The illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ is using, if we're going to come to the Lord, we have to leave all the things that we think are worthy of heaven aside. You can't purchase your way in. Lay aside all that baggage, all your works, all your worth, and all the good things that you have done and say, Christ, I'm going to humble myself and come to you alone. 
The man left the Lord Jesus Christ saddened because he had much, and unfortunately, he would have learned Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you come to him today humbly? Like the camel through the eye of the needle. You say, well, that, that almost sounds impossible. But not with God, it says. I, li- I like that real plain phrasing. But not with God. Amen. With God, all things are possible. Amen. And he can save your soul today. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved You can't bring anything, just call. Trust in him by faith and believe and let him change your life. The lady sang that song this morning. Jesus can change your life. He's the only one that can. Trust in his saving power. Let's bow this morning. Father, we thank you for being so good to us. We pray that you speak to our hearts. Lord, maybe there's one here that doesn't know Christ as their savior. Lord, as we think about the kingdom of God, and again, we we don't maybe understand all the mysteries of the kingdom, but we understand this. In order to get there, we must come through Jesus. We must be born again. We must lay off all the things that we have to offer and just trust Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. Speak to our hearts today, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and Brother Roberts is going to come and take our invitation as we prepare for baptism this morning.